Hello everyone and welcome to today's experience. Today we will be discovering a country that is seldom heard of through the eyes of a missionary. It is a country that is located within the Himalayas, home to Mount Everest, also birthplace to Buddha, and was home to the last Hindu monarchy. What was the driving force or what spurred you along to say, hey, you know what, this is a place where I want to go and serve? In all honesty, I didn't want to go to Nepal. Um, I was actually very against going to not only Nepal, but a mission trip. At that point in my life, I was kind of stuck between two hard places, and I felt my relationship with God was strained. I was asked by my missions coordinator to just attend the meeting and help with planning. And so I did attend, very grumpy about it, mm. but I did attend. And uh, while there, she, you know, asked, I, and I made it explicitly clear that I was not joining. I was just helping to plan. <laughs> and uh, after the meeting, I was approached by another member of our church that was at the meeting as well. She's helped us a lot with fundraising right. and she was very emotional and uh, she expressed that she really wanted to help me on my trip to go to Nepal like financially. And I was kind of confused. I was like, yeah, but I'm not really going. So you should probably, you know, help somebody else. And, and she was very adamant and just wanted me to take a week and pray and think about it. And so I did. And I felt God say, despite what you want to do, I do want you to go. And my entire, my, my entire trip was paid essentially oh, yeah? by her and her husband yeah oh, wow the way our fundraising works is we pay for our own flights and stay and then in terms of all the things that we take for them we fundraise and we do that but um everything that is for ourselves we pay for ourselves okay, okay. but she kind of just pushed me and so i went <laughs> <laughs> to be honest that's a typical story to no. hear you know i guess when people think of missionaries not really so much happy-go-lucky but just people who kind of had their mindset and was just like okay you know what this is something i'm gonna do and mm -hmm. i'm gonna go help the people but i guess you kind of have a bit of a unique story in that like you expressed earlier your relationship with god was kind of strained mm -hmm. and you know you just happened to go to the you know the informational um hearing about it and then you were kind of i guess you know helped along by someone else in the faith and that really gave you the good push to go out and go down to nepal yeah um was this a short-term mission trip or like a long-term mission or was it kind of different for the different members of the group so there was um 16 of us that went um i think about half of them stayed for about a week and the rest of us we stayed for another two weeks so we were there for three weeks um so it was still a short-term mission um we were with we partnered with an organization there called the himalayan foundation which is an orphanage um one of the very few christian organizations that were situated where we were we spent a lot of time with the kids there but it was more of encouraging the pastor and his family that are there running the organization as opposed to us going in and doing very much on our own what was the main objective of your short-term mission trip in nepal going there i think a number of us had different objectives it was um we went on a mission trip the year before to mexico and that was very structured um we went in with a team they always had a plan every day from morning to evening this one was a little um a little nerve-wracking at first because we didn't have that sort of itinerary it was kind of uh we're going in to support this organization um bring in resources spend time with the kids because again um all of them are orphans or have been abandoned so it was just you know come in spread the love of god do what we can and pick up where we, I guess, put in our work. And uh, so we did a few other 
things. So we, we did help renovate their church. It was situated in the back of the orphanage. So we did that and we helped renovate their the house that they lived in, the orphanage. Um, we brought in school supplies. We, we got them new school uniforms, put money towards some of their like school fees. But I, again, everything, I think everyone had a different objective. Some people felt compelled to, you know, really spend time with the kids and really help them understand the love of God, mm-hmm. despite the things that they've been through, despite the abandonment, despite all of that. Um, for me, at the time I going, I didn't know what it was. I, I know I was focused on trauma victims and women trafficking. Um, and because that is kind of the career path that I want to go into, that was kind of what I was focusing on. But uh, once I got there, God kind of revealed that he wanted me to be an intercessor for the country and really spend time with him praying over the country and the people. And that's what I did. I guess in a sense, your story is kind of like Jonah, right? Where, you know, <laughs> you didn't <laughs> you didn't want to do something. Yeah. But by the end of it, you know, God taught you something and yeah. as well got you to spread a message to a group of people where, you know, his word is not that common, right? Yeah. And I believe earlier you said that, you know, the main religion in Nepal is Hinduism and then afterwards it'll be Buddhism and then, you know, Islam and then Christianity. But in that country, I understand that proselytizing or evangelism isn't isn't legal. That you're not allowed to actually, you know, convert anyone. So just a little curious about how that orphanage got there in the first place and, you know, what the deal is because I'm sure the government obviously knows that, you know, it's a Christian organization running this and then, you know, they're dealing with children. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, so I think initially the, the pastor that runs it, his name's David, he did express that he came down from his village uh, where he lived to Kathmandu to find a job. And at the time, he found a Catholic preacher that was there with his church. And so he spent time with him and he learned more about um, the Bible and Jesus and decided to give his life to Jesus. And he helped this one boy and he had the boy stay at his house and took care of him and fed him and he kind of as he spent more time with God he felt God say why can't you do this with more children why can't you take care of more of them and so he did and and he and I think at some point he had about two or three children with him and um that's when he he felt God say you know you'd need a helper and and he got married um to his wife Maria and they have uh three kids now and so they they started this together and they partnered with this Catholic church back in the UK and they helped him and uh um, another church in the same area, same um, same city, so Kathmandu, but a, a little further off, and they have an orphanage there as well, um, and it's a small church as well, so they, they helped fund those two, and they're their main source of income, um, right. okay. so that church in the UK. They have expressed that many times they've dealt with a lot of hardship. Um, so in terms of just paying bills and things like that, um, even if they do pay on time, they would be harassed by government officials. Um, if there's ever an issue, police or um, uh, the army would come in. The tra- army? The army would come in because it's, it's all privatized. So um, they're all along the same organization. Um, and they'd always get trouble for certain things. If they would complain about something wrong with the house, then they would have a government official come and find them for something that yeah. was extremely silly or try to blame it on them. So there's been a lot of opposition and a lot of hardships they've had to deal with uh, from the government as well as financially. So yeah, it's, it's tough for them. So having you guys come down 
Uh, I'm pretty sure that they were aware that it was a short-term stay for you guys. Did you feel any kind of like negative feedback from any of the children or any of the people kind of currently staying there? You know, like, oh, you know, we got these foreign Westerners coming here and they're just only going to stay a while and, you know, just try to perk us up. But then, you know, hey, soon they'll be gone. Was there any of that? Yeah, 100%. um, I think the first few days, actually, um, they were very excited when we arrived. Like, they all wanted to see us. They all, like, were kind of, like, they're all in bed at the night because we we landed, like, Friday really late at night. But they, you know, we could see them peeking out of their, like, uh, windows and their rooms and stuff. But they were very hesitant to talk to us. Um, Because so many groups came in and out from the U.S. and Canada, um, they're like, these people just come in and play with us for a week and leave. Um, Never come back and say they're going to come back and say they love us and, you know, give us these things and they just leave and don't come back. Um, So we definitely felt that hostility and it was very hard to break through because we also knew that we were leaving in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And there's this uncertainty because um, we were all young travelers. You know, we don't really have a lot of money to our name, so we don't know when we're going to come back. We don't know uh, if we are going to come at all, if we do. Um, So we almost felt like we were betraying them in a way and you kind of felt like you were doing them more wrong than benefiting them being there because they felt so used almost like we would come in and you know people or different groups rather would come in and just you know take their pictures for the week and say hey we're making a difference in Nepal love on them and then leave and never come back so um, it took a lot to really break down those walls and assure them that if we say we're going to come back we are going to definitely come back and we can't make promises and it's even harder to say that but I think at some point they realized that we we were being genuine about it and um, it's not to talk down to those other groups but you can understand the pain and beginning of second week noticed that uh, certain kids were becoming possessive of certain members in our group because um, they'd get upset when they would spend time with another child mm. and so there was kind of conflict between the kids as well um, so there was a lot of barriers in terms of uh, really getting them to talk about their experience and by the second week um, the more we'd take them out the more we'd uh, see them and how they interact with each other and we would be there to help resolve their conflicts they were seeing that it wasn't just about what we were there to do for ourselves but it was really for them um we would try to spend as much time as we could with them so like we'd pick them up from school we drop them off at school so um it was we were trying to make it uh, explicitly show that we were really there and it wasn't just something we were talking about but it was really something that uh, we were doing not because of ourselves but because of what god commissioned us to do yeah i guess that's always a very difficult wall to break down with this life is so hectic we sometimes even barely have time to see our own family members right let alone you know uh, go abroad and then try your best to really shed the light of god's love to another group of people and not have them have that feeling that you know here comes somebody from foreign who's got all this money who's just gonna like you know try and either a make themselves look good by doing you know a certain type of work and as well to just really show people that you genuinely care about them you know that they're just not a gimmick right or that you don't pity them I've, I've heard often that that's one of the things that happens with short-term missions is that the people you're staying with kind of get that uh, sense of abandonment. So once you were in Nepal, did you have a change of heart seeing the state of the country and, you know, just the way, I guess, you know, obviously you're different, so people are going to look at you a different way. Did it take you some time to adjust as well? <laughs> Right off the bat, um, I think landing at the airport was very humbling because they didn't, didn't have a working bathroom. And so I kind of thought to myself, what kind of country has an international airport that doesn't have a bathroom? You know, and like just right from the get go, there's all these things that slowly started building up this hatred in me. So I was looking at, you know, the streets and how dirty it was and, you know, everyone just pollutes and, you know, people you just see like spitting and you see garbage and and 
And so it somehow builds up this anger towards people and you kind of grow into this mentality that says like the only reason this country isn't nice is because of these people and they oh, right. they somehow deserve it because they, they created this for themselves. Um, so you, you really start to justify um, their hardships and, and in your mind you're like, oh, whatever. It's like this because nobody cares. And you, you start to burn out as well seeing it um, because you talk to people and you try to break through these walls and then you see they're just trying to like get money out of you or they they're just trying to see how they can use you and so you start to get really upset um but god kind of talked to me and he kind of had to sit me down and be like you know if you're so angry about these things and you're so angry that they are not helping themselves then imagine how hurt i am imagine how much i look down on these people and i love them so much but they refuse to acknowledge me and instead they replace me with different religions and different rituals and different practices and and it kind of makes you think like i'm literally on the same playing field as them just because i came here i can't play this righteous person that is above them um because right from the get-go I had bitterness in my heart and I had anger in my heart that God had to reveal to me. So it was just as much a personal journey as it was like in a group setting because there was all these traits that, you know, you go in thinking, wow, like that's a great Christian move, you know, jumping on a plane and you're going, but uh, (laughs) you get there and God's like, no, you're bitter and you're arrogant and you have pride and you're like, what? Uh I'm halfway across the world doing this for you. But he kind of shows you like, no, there's a lot more you need to be humble about and there's a lot more you need to understand because we think the world is so small but really it's us that is so small in this big world and there's so many different beliefs so many different practices um that we don't see um so god really had to shift my perspective from looking at it my way and looking at it his way well what was the group morale like while you guys were out in nepal because earlier you said that there wasn't really such a well um planned out itinerary so were the people working together in unison or was there some disarray or uh, again half of the team they they stayed for a week and the rest of us stayed for uh, another two weeks the team that left early it was their first mission trip so they've never been most of them haven't been outside of canada and the few that have have just been to like vacationing things like that and <laughs> at times it was very frustrating because you know you do have people that are always crying about the bathroom situation and always upset because it's kind of smelly and don't want to touch this don't want to do that and again it's humbling because you're like oh like look at these babies like you know they're complaining about it but then at the same time it's like i'm i have this bitterness in my heart against them and against everybody so it's like um there's definitely uh i don't want to say conflict but there was tension every now and then um and the way they saw it was very extreme it was like oh my god like we need to help them we need to but it's just like okay like there's certain things you kind of learn when you do it is like give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime is like we cannot just give them things us just buying these kids everything is not going to solve their problems we need to the most valuable thing we can leave with them is not the things that we brought but really just teaching them um about fear of god and trusting god and despite everything and really understanding the bible um so there was tension between group members but i know a lot of them did amazing with the children i spent time with the children um definitely doing activities and things but i think most of the time i was either on my own um helping out with the church renovation things like that or spending time one-on-one with the kids as opposed to like with all of them at the same time so i know different people felt moved to do different things i i know there's a few of them that felt the same way i did and 
felt they were there to pray for the country and spend time really talking to the pastor as well. Because I, I think at some point it felt ritualistic the way that they were doing church. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the culture and they're so used to having uh, ritualistic religious practices. But, you know, they would pray and then they would read a passage in the Bible and then they would stop. And so there was like, there was no discussion. There's really no real understanding that like the Bible is something that you build yourself from and mm -hmm. something that you grow reading. So really catalyzing discussions and conversations when we spent time with them was very important. Um, so just different things like that. Like people, um, I think it was cool because we had a diverse group um, and everyone had different ideas and opinions. Sometimes <laughs> it was conflicting. Other times it really helped contribute and make things a lot smoother. Okay. Well, could you just touch on some of the ritualistic practices or because one of the things and I don't know if you are aware of this but from about 1990 to 2006 Nepal actually had a civil war where the um, communists essentially overthrew one of the longest remaining Hindu dynasties wow. and we all know that with communism you know there is no religion allowed right right but I guess since it's still kind of like the revolution was still a bit recent. Like, did you see people publicly practicing religion or, you know, like, do people still go to temple or, um, you know, where the Hindu or Buddhist, like, touch on what you saw um, outside? Yeah, no. Um, again, like 80, 82% of the population is Hindu. And um, that's one of the first things I noticed is that you can't really take three steps without passing a Hindu temple or seeing a Hindu shrine or seeing an altar. Um, it's very concentrated and the practice is prominent everywhere. Uh, we also saw Buddhist temples. A lot of the Buddhist temples are tourist attractions. So the first day, the pastor actually of the orphanage was like, yeah, you know, I can give you a tour of the temples and things like that. And we were kind of shocked and we're like, uh, no, we don't really want to do that. But, um, uh, it was it was interesting because, you know, here growing up in a church, my mom would be like, No, like, you know, you shouldn't but um with there it's 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 a part of the culture and it's a part of the tradition that these are things that exist around you. Um and it was kind of eye opening because everyone basically everyone that I seemed to meet was Hindu. Everyone had um some sort of religious devotion like book on them or they they always have like the I guess, like, the sacred uh, strings around their wrist. Oh, right, like the red or the um, white band. Yeah, or... and then um, they would have the um, the same sacred marking on their forehead as well. So people were openly Hindu and Buddhist there. Uh, yeah, it was nothing short of that, really. Like, there was temples on every side of the orphanage. Um, I think every single house that we passed by in in our block had, uh, had like, a little shrine or altar outside of their house as well. So very, very concentrated, very, very prominent and explicit. So while you were there, anyone make mention of the, like, did the pastor or anyone say anything of uh, the, the recent conflict that had happened? No, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually didn't know about that. <laughs> I do remember him saying that despite the government implicitly or I guess verbally saying that the country is a is a secular country there's this contract this contradiction between what you're seeing and what the government is supposedly saying so um if there is no religious ties then why is there so much everywhere all the time it was, it was kind of a little confusing but other than that no i i really didn't hear of <laughs> I, again i went in really blind i the whole preparation going to it i was kind of just a little 
antsy and I just was like, okay, I'm just going to get in and get out. And that was my, that was my mentality going in. I, I guess that's why it kind of pays to, you know, to do a little, little yeah. research. Oh, yeah. I won't lie to myself. I didn't know. I didn't know until I was just uh, hopped online. I'm like, you know what? Let me look a little bit deeper yeah. into this Nepal thing. I was like, what? They, they had a war? I didn't even yeah. know about this. Um, so what would you say some of the biggest takeaways from your journey? Like, how did you grow from going to Nepal? I think, um, so again, God revealed certain traits that I had in my heart um, that I really needed to work on. Um, that's first and foremost. Second was... Um, you know, growing up in a Pentecostal church, I'd always, you know, hear my mom talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about, um, you know, evil spirits. And it all just sounded like a weird Halloween special. Like I was like, okay, spirits, voodoo, witchcraft, okay, whatever. Um, but being there and really, um, diving into the scripture, um, and tuning out of all this, like, regular, uh, the regular work in school that I would be doing, um, I felt that God was revealing more of the spiritual aspect of it, the spiritual warfare that was taking, um, taking over, really, in Nepal. Um, and it was kind of mind-blowing because it was like, it's either I'm, like, suffering from jet lag or, like, I'm actually seeing certain things or I'm experiencing certain things um, because there was real tangible moments where I was like, this is this is literally an attack. This is a spiritual attack. Um, and so many times it was, like, just praying for our group and with our group because people would be very scared or... Um, you mean people getting shook out there? Like- yeah, getting so shook. And it was like... I don't know what's going on. Like, this is crazy. Um, You're talking like people like screaming in the nighttime. Ah, ah, I saw something. No, 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 no. Literally, um, like my coordinator would have really bad headaches all of a sudden or she'd get extremely um, like shaky. And just as like we were about to go and tell this, like share um, the gospel with the children or um, before we would start like a project, she would just start getting really antsy. And so almost to kind of stop us from doing certain things. And it was always at the moments where we were going to do um, something that I believe would be meaningful or, or powerful or empowering um, or <laughs> there was a moment where all the girls were just too afraid to walk down the street. They kept feeling like there was follow- someone was following us. And then at some point, um, there was like a street dog running after us. What? So there was just, there was Possessed just, dog? Yeah. Like, I, it's, it's just like weird moments where it would really compromise the rest of the trip because people were too scared to leave their room or they just felt really down or they felt really upset. They felt burnt out. They felt hopeless looking at the situation, um, especially the ones um, who were on this trip for the first time going on a mission trip. So it really took a lot of prayer with the group and um, or other times it was conflict between us. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that it was it was bizarre, really. Um, God was kind of like, OK, these are things that actually happen. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. It's not just something um, that we can acknowledge and put to the back of our heads. Somehow when you travel, it becomes more real to you. And God really revealed that. And he also revealed that he has a plan and purpose for Nepal. And so that was very encouraging because after all of it, it kind of seemed like doom and gloom. And reading scripture, God gave me a word of promise. And it's stuck in my mind ever since. Um, But uh, the biggest takeaway would really be that there is the stronghold that um, more people need to address. And despite it being a country that not many missionaries go into, um, it is it is a center that that needs God's light and love. That was powerful. 